Morning. I don't get our weather. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like last last week um, I got the heater on, and then this week I'm like, I should have wore shorts. And, oh, man. It's great. So our softball team uh, won la- or last Monday night. Woo! Go team. Uh, tomorrow night we're, we made the playoffs, which I think everybody does, so I don't think it's a big deal. But so, but we did. I gotta stop flexing my huge pecs. It's not that funny. No. Uh, um, anyway, so we have three games tomorrow night. If you want to come, cheers on six, seven, no, six thirty, seven forty-five, and nine o'clock. Sean Jones gets out of class at nine, so he comes to the nine o'clock games and cheers us on. So you can come and be like, woo! They're really bad, you know, but <laughs> it'll be great. A lot of fun. Um, I have a whole bunch of stuff on my thing before we get into the message here, so just just go with me. Uh, I, every week at the end of the message, I always talk about giving and what that looks like. Uh, for those of you who are into the modern age, we actually, on our website, you can actually give online if you would like to. Uh, 25% of all elements giving is done online, which I think is just really amazing, so... Okay, whatever. You're like, wow, really? Well, when you take in 10 bucks, it's not hard to get 250, okay? That's right. um, we are going to do a new, a new member class again sometime soon. Our new member class is seven weeks long. It's called the Gospel Class. It covers basic theology. It's things that we believe that if you're going to call yourself a member of Element, that means you need to be a Christian, and there's certain things that we think Christians need to know. So our class is seven weeks long. We haven't determined when to do that next class yet. We did the first one a while ago, the second one on Wednesday nights. On Thanksgiving, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we are doing a little get-together at three people's homes in the Santa Maria area. And so we have we want everybody to go to one. This is going to kind of be a little get-together that's outside of this place. Uh, it's going to be probably 30 to 40 people in a home, so you're not going to feel awkward like it's just you and the people who own the house. And you're like, well, this is awkward. You're going to have a lot of people there. Bring your friends if you feel a little funky, and and you can do that. We're going to show up at these homes. We're going to do a kind of a little Thanksgiving thing the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. It starts at 630. Uh, I put a sign-up sheet in the back table back there, and last week that hallway gets so crowded. Uh, We have about 46 people signed up already, Uh, and so this morning I put sign-up sheets on the outside. When you walk out these doors, there's a pen and sign-up sheets out there. If I could have you guys just come. Just come and check it out. If you don't like it, leave in the middle of it. Eat the food and then leave. But come and check. Just, just go. This is one thing we want you guys to do this, this season is to go to one of these. And, okay, this, I wasn't actually prepared. I was going to do this next week and not this week. Uh, Patty Shipsy, she uh, runs the children's program right now. She has, uh, when we launched Element, she came and I went and talked to her and she launched with us to do this. She, she's great. Uh, she told me that at towards the end of the year, things are going to get very, very busy for her because she has a daughter who's getting married. She's got a couple of kids that are getting close to graduating high school. One of them is like in debate, and they're going all over the place. So she's taking them a bunch of places. And she said, my life is just getting really, really busy. And I go, so this isn't something I did. You know, cause she, goes, she goes, not at all. So actually, uh, Patty was going to give me a full year. She's actually stepping down as the head of the children's uh, I think in two weeks from now, uh, we have a team in place to take care of it. But I just wanted you guys to know that she doesn't hate me. She's actually still attending. She's actually still teaching classes. 
Okay? So it's not like she's like, I hate that guy, I'm leaving. It's just, at Element, we believe that you are ministers first to your family. Okay? And even if something as important as church comes in the way of that, your family should come first. And it's, it's just great how it turned out because I'm like, this is great because it actually reinforces our position about families. So she's taking care of her family. I think it's a great thing. Right, Bill? Right. <laughs> That's her husband right there. So. <laughs> what? Yeah, she's dressed as Moses in the back room. I saw her. It, it was, it was, it was kind of creepy. So <laughs> I'm like, Moses didn't look like this. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. All right. Um, Wednesday, December 6th, uh, there's, we've been in this building for almost, well, almost 10 months. Uh, Element's been launched for about six, and we need to have a cleaning day. So on, when, on Sunday, December 6th, after second service, it probably doesn't mean anything to you, go and come back. We're going to give you guys pizza and soda, so we'll get you guys like all clog your arteries, and you can work it out, and we're just going to have a bunch of little projects. You can grab one and do it, and it'll probably take you just a little bit of time, and then you're done. But we have a lot of cleaning stuff to do, and we can't afford to actually pay somebody to clean, because once again, we're, we're poor. So come and help out. It'd be great. It's wonderful. I think I got everything on my list. If you have white Christmas lights, we need those. What's that? December 6th. That's a Sunday? Saturday. 7th. Right after second service. Okay. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. Why don't you stay with me for reading of God's word? This is John chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask again that, that you would teach us that we would understand living water and that we would understand the metaphors that you use. God, we ask that this living, running water would, would be true in our lives and that we would worship you as God. Father, teach us to be your kids. Amen. Have a seat. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4 because we got a lot of stuff to go through this morning, so we're just going to hit it. No funny little stories to start with, just going. So John chapter 4, if you brought your Bibles. You're like already there, you're just like smiling in the front row. You know, it, it's so great because you're never afraid of me. Like I spit and stuff and you just come every week sit in the front row. It's great. You and my wife, she gets spit on by me all the time, so that's okay, whatever. All right, here we go. John chapter 4, starting verse 1. Not like that. Okay. Uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now before we get going into all of this, I've got to give you a little bit of background. Because when you hear he had to go through Samaria, this is kind of like to a Jew, he had to go through the backwoods of Mississippi or something like that. When you hear that, ding, 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 ding. You saw the movie. It's good when Burt Reynolds was young. All right. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this. Uh, the Holy Land, uh, Israel, is a strip of land that runs 120 miles along the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? See it? Woo! It, it looks great. There you get it. Um, this stretch, uh, at this time when Jesus was teaching, was actually divided into three regions that had their own kind of religious, ethnic identity. Uh, in the north, you had Galilee. In the south, you had Judea. And in the middle, you had Samaria. 
I don't know why Samaria is orange, but apparently it is orange and, and that is good. On the north and the south are Jews. These are Jewish people. In the middle, there is this bizarre hybrid known as Samaritans who were shunned by the Jews. It was uncommon for any Jew in this day to have a relationship, let alone a friendship, with the Samaritan because their hatred was religious and it was ethnic. So unlike today where our hatred is just so civilized. All right. Originally... In this area called Samaria, it was considered holy by the Jews because Jacob and Isaac both built altars to the Lord there. Jacob had, a, had built a well, and he raised his family there, and he deeded that well to Joseph. Joseph, at a point in his life, in Genesis, you'll see this, he is sold into slavery, becomes a ruler in Egypt. Eventually, he brings all of his family to Egypt because of a great famine that's going on, so he brings them all there. They all join him. But Joseph made his family promise that when they got the heck out of Dodge slash Egypt, okay, they would take his bones and they would bury him back in this place in Samaria. Again, a town called Sychar. Okay? Now, this all happened. God's true to his promises. The, he brings his people out. You have Moses in the Red Sea, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, all that. All right, there's a cartoon about it, too. So on this map right here, we're going to zoom in a little bit. Okay? So here's, here's Samaria on this map. And on this, what you'll see is this little fork in the road right there. And you see Sychar. And then a little below it, you see Mount Gerizim. Now, at Mount Gerizim, Deuteronomy says, this is a place where God's people used to gather and worship, was at Mount Gerizim. So, before the land is divided, you know, back when Israel's kind of like one nation there, everything's great, until about 720 B.C., and the Assyrians come in, and the Assyrians hate the Jews. You can leave that up. That's great. Just leave it there. I didn't know if you were looking at, like, changing the map. Leave the map. Okay. All right. I never know when the sound was, and they're like, <laughs> I'm like, that's good. That's good. Okay, 720 B.C., the Assyrians come in. They hate the Jews. And so they come in and they conquer this area. And as normally what happens when a conquering army comes in is they kill people and they deport others that live there. The invaders do what they can to destroy the religious and national identity of the people. You see this day in like Bosnia and the Sudan and Darfur and places like that. You know, some were deported and then some, a few, were actually left back in the conquered regions. And so the Assyrians, they would send people into this area to live in the land and live off of the people who live there. Kind of reads like today. And it's a, this whole effort to get the people to lose their national identity. The people that remain in this area who are originally Israelites, they have a question. And that question is, do we stay faithful to our religion or do we syncretize and mix with the people that come in and start to follow their ways as well? And in 2 Kings chapter 17, it tells us that immediately what happens when the Assyrians come in is these people started following the Assyrians' ways. They mixed themselves in the worship of the one true God with lots of other gods so far as to actually involve child sacrifice. Now, can you imagine how angry you would be if you got captured and dragged off to another place and you found and returned to God and you, the people that got to stay in the land started doing all this stuff? How angry would you be? They're Yes, they're pretty angry. Imagine uh, the, the Canadians. See, I've got to say Canadians because uh, I can't say the, the other order because it's not PC, and I'd probably get shot. So we're going to go with the Canadians here. So imagine the Canadians come over the border, and they attack the United States, and they win. It's impossible, I know. Okay, But imagine it happens, okay? And they haul two-thirds of us off to Canada, you know, and everybody's going, what, what's going on, eh? You know, and we're like, oh, my goodness, what do we do? Okay, and the, but a third of us are kind of left here, and they start, and all of a sudden the Canadians, they start sending down all this pantheism and garbage and Oprah and Dr. Phil and, and witchcraft and all this stuff. We then have to decide, are we going to merge ourselves with this culture, 
or are we going to stay true to our own? In 2 Kings, it tells you immediately what the people that stayed in Israel here did is they started to merge themselves with the Assyrians and their gods. And so what eventually happens is they, they lose the Psalms, they lose the wisdom literature uh, in the Old Testament, and they keep the Torah, and they claim to still be Jews. Over time, what happens is those who are transported to Assyria, they get to come back. They are free, they come home, and they're angry. They're angry. Your neighbor offered their child to sacrifice. They have mixed themselves with this other religion, and it's not right. Over time, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Jews start to rebuild their temple where they worship. The Samaritans show up, and they say, oh, you're, we'll help. Let us help rebuild this temple. It's kind of like us. Oh, we're going to go build a church. And the Mormons show up, and they go, hey, we want to help. And they're like, we're like no. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. They show up, but they're just like, you're, you're mongrels, inbred freaks. You need to go away. And the Samaritans go away, and they're not very happy. About this time, a renegade Jew goes, and he marries a Samaritan woman. And he gets this hybrid religion that starts going on. And he says, we can have our own temple. And he goes, and he builds a temple at Mount Gerizim. Okay, so they have their own temple. And it's, it's this competing temple with the Jews. This continues for about 300 years until 120 B.C. The Jews get so mad, they march right into Samaria, right through Sychar, up to Mount Gerizim, and destroy the Samaritan's temple. 120 years later, Jesus shows up, and these people hate each other. It is racial. It is cultural. It's like, it's like a clan, Ku Klux Klan community on both sides of an African nation. They hate each other. And so if you were a Jew, and you were going to go from Galilee to Judea, what you would typically do is you would go around Samaria. You would not go through Samaria. You would, you would double the length of your trip. Because you would not go through Samaria. Not just because you hated them, but they hated you. If they caught you, they might beat the snot out of you on the way through their area as well. And so you would go around. Um, uh, and and this, is, this is all because of this ethnic and, and racial, racial and, and cultural divide. That, and they forgot that these people are still made in the image of God. So you got it? Thousands of years of history in like eight minutes. We're good? All right. I leave a lot out, but you get the gist. So Jesus, okay, he is going, leaves Judea, and he's going to Galilee, probably tired of, of arguing with the religious people of the day. He's just, he's just going. Instead of going around Samaria, he goes right through the middle of it. Verse 5, okay? So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Like, oh, I know where that is. I saw it on the map. See, good for you. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This means it's about noon. Jesus stops. It's very close to where the Samaritan temple had been, maybe half a half mile to a mile outside of Sychar. And he sends his disciples away to go get lunch, because apparently it takes 12 guys to get lunch. Okay, so he's hot. He's tired. No one goes to the well at noon in the Middle East. Do you know why? It's like it's in here right now. It's hot. You don't go to the well when it's hot. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So she comes at noon. All the other women go in the morning when it's not so hot. I mean, the well is kind of this place where women in the city, they would meet and they would talk and gossip. How's your husband? How's your kids? How's your minivan? Well, I don't drive a minivan. It's now an SUV. Oh, so how's your SUV? You know, and and they, they'd kind of talk about all this stuff. What tells you is that she is an outcast from the Samaritans. It's like when you're in high school and you got like the, the food chain in high school, who's popular and who's not. You got like the plankton on the bottom and the sharks on top. Well, she's cast out by the plankton. They don't want anything to do with her. So she is an outcast. She is isolated and she is alone. 
She is so far down this social ladder that she leads a pathetic, lonely life. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Then it says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Again, it takes 12 guys to do this. Standard dudes, maybe three or four, but Jesus' disciples took all 12. Maybe they're driving him nuts. Maybe he's just like, go get lunch or something. <laughs> why are we in Samaria? Why do we go around? Shut up. Just go get lunch. Okay. And the interesting thing with what Jesus does is the first thing is he asks her for something. It's the first meeting, first time he's seen her, and the first thing he does is he asks her for something. Men in this time wouldn't talk to women in public. Women were viewed as subhuman. There's a whole uh, religious caste called the bruised and the bleeding. And if there's a woman, they'd be walking, they'd be like, oh, girl, and they'd be like, and they'd run into things, and they'd trip over stuff, and they'd fall, and they'd bruise and bleed. Okay? It's like, oh, I can't look at women. It's, it's kind of like that. She doesn't say anything to him. She goes to get her water, but he speaks to her. This is a big deal. A man, a rabbi, never spoke to a woman like this. Some rabbis are actually so legalistic they wouldn't talk to their wife, mother, or daughter in public for fear it would seem inappropriate. Oh, look at that. He's flirting with his wife. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with that guy? You know, some of you ladies would be like, oh, that'd be so nice. That'd be great. <laughs> you know, Jesus comes. He asks her a question. He asks her for water. Now, does God need our help? Does God need our help to get water? Not at all. Not at all. It's like a... It's like a dad asking a five-year-old to help fix the car. You know, he doesn't really need the help. But it's a very beautiful thing that God, who can do everything, allows us to do something. Arthur Gossip, he writes this, There is no shadow of doubt that what draws most people to him is not so much what he gives, but what he asks. So Jesus talks to this woman, this Samaritan woman. He asks her for something, this very loose, sexually confused Samaritan woman. And he asks her for a drink. Jesus tra- Jews traveling through Samaria would typically pack their own dishes because they wouldn't want to eat off dishes that a Samaritan used. It's like way back when, you know, black and white drinking fountains. It's the same deal. Drink from my cup? Why do you want to drink from my cup? I mean, what does this tell you about Jesus? What does it tell you about God? You know, what is God like? I mean, some Christians, it's so, they won't even stop on a non-Christian radio station. Oh my goodness, I might be polluted with something. You know, Jesus comes and he plops his butt down in the middle of Ozfest. That, you guys know what Ozfest is? Okay, that's what he does. This is where he goes. You know, this may be the first meaningful conversation this woman has ever had with the, rather than with a guy that's not just using her for her body. Um, Jesus had just obliterated his reputation. It's like God speaks to sinners. Yes, that's what you and I were when God spoke to us. Now, is God more concerned about his reputation or with our holiness? our holiness and his reputation but we're only concerned with reputation and this is what had been devastating to jesus reputation jesus talks with sexually loose samaritan women for hours alone what kind of guy is that well that's god that's god more concerned about us than his reputation jesus asks and he invites her to something you know cup of water she replies as we do with an excuse verse 9 the samaritan woman said to him you're a jew and i'm a samaritan how can you ask me for a drink for jews do not associate with samaritans that's john's little commentary on that and what i love about it is that so she has this little excuse jesus just blows over her excuse and he just keeps going because he shoots at what she really needs what we really need she is surprised by jesus as we are when he actually comes to us jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water now once again you're going through john there's all kinds of metaphors again jesus uses a metaphor to launch into a new conversation just like he does with nicodemus 
spirit is like wind. You need to be born again. He raises a point that confuses the woman, just like it confused Nicodemus about being born again, to lead her where she needs to go, just like he does with us many times in our lives. Like, God, why are you doing this? I don't understand. And God's like, exactly. Now you have to trust me. Like, oh, so he thoroughly confuses her. Living water, what? You know, it's that kind of thing. Living water literally meant running water as opposed to like stagnant rainwater. He talks to her about living eternal water. Throughout the scriptures, what the Samaritans had actually lost, this living water is a reference and a metaphor for salvation. God coming into our lives and refreshing us with the spirit and cleansing us and renewing us and healing us and giving us strength. Jesus talks about springs of living water. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his life uh, and his flocks and herds? She right now is satisfied with what she knows. It's like I come to the well. I know what the well is like. I put the bucket in. I pull the bucket out. I get some water. I go back. She is satisfied with what she knows. It's something that she experiences every single day and she's satisfied with the lesser rather than the unknown of the graciousness of what God can actually give to her. John Calvin writes this. He says, How faulty this comparison is, that she compares the servant to the master and a dead man to the living God. And yet how many in the present day fall into this very error? Because we are so used to our mundane lives that we, everything just seems so normal and, oh, I, I just like it this way because this is easy. And we don't allow God to do the things in us that he wants to do. I mean, this, this is, Jesus breaks in to this woman's life like he wants to break into ours. And she just wants to hold on to this old thing. Are you better than Jacob? Uh, yes, <laughs> he is. He's totally got her interest peaked. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water going up to eternal life. Your water may provide life, but it doesn't provide spiritual life. It may provide physical life, but it does not provide eternal life. He says, God will give you eternal life. God will. I mean, we are interested, it seems like, only in well water. I mean, we even go to God expecting well water because we think, well, if I follow God, maybe I'll get shorter work hours in my week and, and better wages and God will really bless me and I'll get that new TV I really want. And, and this is what we think. Well water. And yet, we don't really want what he is offering. A completely new way of life. Living water. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman has to go through this painful, isolated walk every day, bucket on her back, scorching heat. Every step she journeys, she journeys alone. No one walks with her. No one forgives her. No one comforts her. No one loves her. She goes home and gives this water to a man who doesn't love her and only uses her for her body every day. And she doesn't want to do it anymore. And so she's like, if you have a way I don't have to do this, I'm listening. So imagine, God comes and talks to us, and he walks us through this process, and we go, okay, okay, God, I'm ready. You know, what can I do? Help me here. And so the next thing, you say, okay, Jesus, the next thing is he asks her for something else. Give it to me. And he's like, all right, here we go. Verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband, and come back. What Jesus just did is he asked her to lay her deepest, darkest sin on the table in front of him. I mean, many times we want to take and hide our deepest, darkest thing from who God is. It's like, oh, no, God can't see this. I'm going to hide this. I don't want to put that on the table. I don't want to have to deal with that. 
That's the first thing Jesus says is throw your darkness on the table. This is not mean. This is loving. The woman's problem is that she worships men. She's trying to find something she can only get from God in men. I mean, the point here of this text you'll get to in a minute is worship. Giving yourself, your time, energy, your money, your effort, your love to something. And she is giving her body to men. And Jesus confronts the issue with her. And that may be a different issue for you. It could be anything in the world. But this is her deepest and most painful part of her life. And so Jesus steps right to that. And her response is a partial confession. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. We love to be just like this. We partially confess. Oh, yeah, you got me. I did that. I'm really sorry. But I'm basically good. It happens in counseling in my office all the time. People come in. They want to talk about stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, so what would you do? Oh, I, I did this. Hmm. What else? Oh, well, I maybe did this and this and this. Okay. And, and why are they really mad at you? I don't know. What did you do? Well, maybe I did this and this and this. And it just, and it comes more. Whatever anybody tells you, it's half. Okay, it is half. Because we do the same thing to God. We partially confess. We don't want to tell him everything. You know, because we still want to appear like we're good. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had, count them, five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Ouch. Okay, ouch. Jesus just laid her bare. The guy you are carrying water for now only uses you, doesn't love you, and is destroying your reputation. I mean, this is you and I. We bluff and bluff so we don't have to face Jesus with our true sin. We confess all the small stuff but not the big stuff. I mean, Jesus like, you have had five husbands. This is why she's rejected. In that culture, you normally only got one husband, okay? And you only got another if the first one died and, ladies, you weren't allowed to kill him, okay? Even if... Even if you wanted to. I mean, it's not like our culture where we just throw each other away. The impression is that this woman throws herself into relationship after relationship, hoping for love and covenant. We do not know why she has allowed these series of men to take advantage of her, but on this day, Jesus shows her that he knows that there is something in her soul that has led her to a life of isolation and grief and shame. And we don't know... Well, you know, how she got here to this day, but Jesus puts his finger on it. He says, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. She is alone. She is completely alone. The one guy she has uses her and won't marry her. He won't give her legal status or a right to his home. Yes, she is in sin. Okay, yes, that is true. But she is lost and hurting, and Jesus comes to her. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> no kidding, okay? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, my first reading of this, I actually had to change my message because I thought she was throwing out another excuse. You know, it's like, oh, it's like arguing religion with God. Okay, you know, five husbands live in boyfriend. Well, where should I go? You know, the Baptist church, the Nazarene church, element. They're all, you know, judgmental. Where do I go? That kind of thing. But I, I, now I don't think so. After I read through it a few more times, it, once again, it made me change my message. The, the temple is where you do what? Sacrifice. Excellent. You guys know me more. This is great. Sacrifice. What do you sacrifice for? Sin. Exactly. The temple is where you meet God. The temple is where God is. The temple is where you deal with your sin. I think she says, okay, you got me. I'm nailed. Where do I go? Gerizim or Jerusalem? Where do I go? It's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful question. And I think she has three hallmarks of our current age because she is spiritual. She is ignorant. And she is sexually confused. 
See, it sounds like the USA in 2008. She is not an atheist. She is spiritual. I mean, she believes in God. MTV did, did a study a few years ago. I know, you've got to trust MTV studies, right? Um, MTV did the study, and they found that of the upcoming generation, 95% believe in God. 95%. You can't do a study and find 95% of people who brush their teeth every day. Okay? 95% of people believe in God. You know, but what do they believe? Everything. They're, they're ignorant. Uh, no unifying conviction. Uh, they believe in prayer, God, life after death. Beyond that, anything. Anything. It's a hodgepodge. Anything they get their hands on, kind of like the Samaritans. And the result equals sexual confusion. If you don't have a God to love and throw yourself into covenant relationship with, you find someone else and you make them an idol and you throw yourself into them. That's what happens. Jesus says to her and us, you're spiritual but you're lost. Our culture, highly spiritual but lost. So where do we go to find life? Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, and that's a term of endearment. It's not like, woman, make me a sandwich. It's, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. And I think this is great that Jesus says you will worship the Father in, in his talking to her. Jesus makes a promise that she will worship God, male figure, as her Father, because this is where her deepest hurting is. You worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. This is very painful to say in our day. You know, you worship what you do not know. Some people go to churches and, and they worship what they don't know. It's like, oh, we're going to preach about love or, or peace or, or unity. And, and where's Jesus in that? You have to preach Jesus. I'm Some people go and they pray and, and, I, and I know they're praying, but they don't know who they're praying to. They go and they do works, but, but who are they working for? You know, they, they think about God, but they don't know who God is. It's, it's like picking up the telephone just dialing a random number and answering, okay, I need life advice, please. You don't even know who it is. You're just dialing, trying to figure something out. Who are you? There's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. She is not stupid. She's just ignorant. He says, we, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, the Jews are mistaken because they thought salvation was for the Jews. But salvation was through the Jews, the promise of the Messiah to all races and people. Abraham's promises, salvation, all people from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is one of the most tightly packed sections in scripture about worship. And you know what it tells you? It tells you that worship begins with God looking for you. Worship does not begin with you going on a vision quest or a journey to find God. God is not lost. Hey, God is not a scout master in the middle of the forest with a busted compass going, Oh, my kids, find me. That is not God. God is fine. We are lost, and God seeks us. God is seeking worshipers. God is collecting his children so they can be in relationship with him. I mean, think about the times in your life when you were lost. Think about the times in your life when you almost died, and yet you saw you came through that out on the other side because God preserved you. You are here today because God preserved you to bring you to this place on this day. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I hear you people, people say this a lot. They go, you know, if they don't know Jesus, they're like, do you really think that God and all that he has to do in the totality of the universe will know that I exist, know where, that I, where I live and, and what I'm doing and wants to meet me and seek after me and be in relationship with me? Yes, he does. That's the story of the Samaritan woman. God comes in the flesh, born in Jesus. He lives through puberty, and that's a lot, okay, because you've been through it. 
He's, done, he's gone through a lot to get to this woman on this day to talk to her. He takes a couple of hours to sit down and converse with her. Why? Because God the Father is seeking her as a daughter and a worshiper, just like he seeks you and I. And that is God's love. And God wants to return her dignity and respect to her because she's created in his image and return her to what she was supposed to be. God is seeking this woman. Jesus is seeking this woman. And what Christ did for this woman, he does for you and I. The most beautiful thing about this word that Jesus uses for worship is it has this connotation that means to kiss towards. To kiss towards. Jesus tells her that God has kissed you. Even in the midst of her sin, God has kissed her. Worship is God kissing us and us kissing back. As a husband, I will tell you, there is nothing better when I go to kiss my wife and she kisses me back and she hasn't eaten onions. It's... There's nothing better uh, because I'm like, yes, yes, that's, that's it. You know, I, I love doing weddings and everything. When I get to the end, I say, you may kiss your bride. And it's like there's just this desire for them to kiss. And I'm like, oh, I love that. You know, you want to cry and stuff. It's beautiful. God has kissed towards us. And we in worship kiss him back. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, God has kissed you. And I think because the woman gets it, she says this, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Surprise, you're, you're talking to God. In John's gospel prior, prior to the trial, there is one person that Jesus outright, outright blatantly shares a secret with. And it's not the crowds, and it's not the religious leaders, disciples, it is this woman. And it's totally funny because she goes, she tells everybody. <laughs> which actually we'll see in a couple of weeks and when, we, when we go through that. Jesus has done this for you. He has invited you to the Spirit to heal you and give you life. And yes, there are days you will go through in your life where you feel like you're carrying this water on your back to a well and you feel isolated and alone, but Jesus constantly wants you to remember what lengths He has gone through so that God could kiss you. But the real question for you and I is, will you kiss Him back? Will you worship Him? And I'm just talking like on a Sunday. I mean, on Sundays, we, we, we purposely do things so that we reorient our lives. So we come and we take communion and we remember Christ's body and, and that was broken and we, and we take and we break a crack or we put it in the, the grape juice or the wine and it reminds us that this is what Christ did so that God could restore relationship with us. Every week we do that to remind ourselves. Every week I offer you guys prayer in the back. I mean, if you feel like you're carrying water and you live in isolation, and you want to kiss God back, and you just don't know how to do that, there's some elders in the back of the room that want to pray with you. Every week, I tell you that we sing songs about redemption and hope and the things that God has done for us because it's about His glory and not about ours. Every week, I tell you that we give. We have offering box on the side of the wall, back of the room. We have an offering box online, apparently, you know? And, and you give there because God gave to us, and we give back. And then we fellowship with, with each other so we don't have to go to the well alone. We get there and we get to talk. How's your, how's your minivan or your SUV or whatever you got, your kids, your husband, you know, what's going on? Because God has reconciled us to himself, we can be reconciled to each other and have true relationships again. We worship God. I, we need to be people who stop being ignorant and we start to worship the God who saved us, and we offer our lives back to Him by how we live. This Jesus, who came and lived and died and rose to conquer our enemies of Satan, sin, and death, and He offers us the intimacy that no one else could ever offer. 
So this morning, you are invited to living water. A new way of life can begin for you every single day because he has made it possible. Band's going to come up. I'm going to pray. And you are invited to take communion. <coughs> Hang out, give, and sing songs, fellowship together. Jesus loves you more than you would ever know. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, I thank you that you have kissed us, that you don't leave us going to the well alone day after day after day. But yet you take and you meet us in a place where sometimes we are just covered in our own muck. And you step into the deepest, hardest place. And you love us because you are good. Not because we are good. Not because we are wonderful. Not because we are great. But because you are wonderful and you are great and you are mighty. And your glory abounds more than we could ever imagine. This morning I ask that you would help us be people who come and learn how to live in the place where he trusts the living water to renew us and heal us and bring us into your presence so we worship you as you have been revealed. Amen.